Well, good morning and welcome to you who are joining us in this Reforming Online community. Uh, my name is Russ. I serve as one of the elders of Reforming Church. I serve as the preaching elder particularly. And so it's my privilege to open up God's Word and to see God's Word proclaimed, the good news of Jesus proclaimed from the Scriptures. We heard that Bible reading from Luke 22, and it may be familiar to some of you, it may not be, but the event itself sounds familiar. It sounds and feels familiar because we've all had moments like this. We've all had moments like this where we deeply regret something in our life. Now, Peter and Jesus have a special friendship. And what I would like to do today is to expound God's Word and get us to think about um, our friendships and the way we relate to one another and ultimately the way we relate to Jesus and get us to think about what this means for us, particularly in the context of our social isolation. Um, if you've heard the first sermon, you know I'm having trouble with the phrase social isolation. It turns into social isolation or something. No, it's, I didn't even get it right what I got wrong. Um, but you and I know we live in days where we would not have thought at the start of 2020, this is what life was going to be like for us. Although briefly, because in the first sermon we heard last time, this is going to be brief. It's not going to be forever. And at least there's a resurrection to come. But what can happen to us in our social isolation, what can happen to us in these brief, dark days, is we forget they're brief and we just focus on how dark they are, how hard they are, and we forget the promises and we just fall into this ever-increasing, looking inwardly on ourselves, darkness and down into depression kind of time. And I think that's what Peter was experiencing here when we see him deny Jesus and then he goes to weep. He went out and wept bitterly. In fact, we know Jesus goes to the cross, and that's next week's sermon, and, Je and Peter would have had these days of weeping, of days of inner darkness and bitterness that you and I have perhaps experienced in our own sin and failures. Peter, of course, never wanted it to be like this. Peter wanted 2020 to be different if I can just use that phrase, you know what I mean. Um, there's been a few memes going around the internet about 2019 and 2020, a couple of funny ones. <clears throat> uh, one of them I saw was um, uh, someone made a meme where they've got someone you know, giving all their, um, their hopes and dreams for 2020, and it says, um, 2020, that decade to come, new decade, new year, the numbers all match up, 2020, oh, year of opportunity, Decade of new things. And then we get to 2020 and it's, what the heck? <laughs> you know that kind of thing, right? The other meme, I think, perhaps is a bit funnier. I don't know if you're laughing or not. And maybe, again, you're sitting here watching this kind of um, at the dinner table with your elbow there going, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't expect to, to necessarily rock your world this morning, but not with my jokes at least. Uh, but there's another meme that goes more like this, and this is kind of how <laughs> I guess I feel. Uh, where we see someone saying, I would like to apologize to 2019 for all the things I said about you compared to 2020. You see, we all have expectations of what we're really going to be like, don't we? What 2020 is really going to be like, a 2020 vision perhaps we had for our church, a 2020 vision for our organization, or even just for my life. We all had expectations, hopes, and dreams. That's Peter. Peter is someone that constantly throughout 
well, the gospel accounts. And sometimes in the New Testament letters, mind you, Peter is someone who is just honest, raw, and real. Like, he's an apostle that even still has some troubles, has some sins and things he needs to say, I'm sorry for. Peter is someone who particularly has high expectations of how it's going to be. He has over-realized expectations of how wonderful he'll be in the moment. Peter's kind of that person that would expect, yeah, you know, kind of, I'll be the brave person with a soundtrack in the background. That's kind of Peter. Maybe you and I are not far from that sometimes. So it's Peter who earlier has his conversation with Jesus. And uh, Jesus says to him in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus says to Peter, who's one of his inner circle of three, there's James, John, and Peter on that kind of inner circle of friendship. And Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, that's an encouraging line in verse 22, isn't it? When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Like that's Jesus saying, you're going to fail, but it's going to get better and you're going to be a real encouragement. But it's almost like Peter forgets that bit. And what he does is he, um, straight away, verse 35 says, uh, sorry, verse 33, Luke 22, 33, he says, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Like, I'm ready to go. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter, you're going to deny me, Jesus says, and the rooster's going to crow three times and you're going to know it. So Peter, who has these expectations that he will always, always deliver, that he will always be with Jesus. He will always even be with Jesus to death. He would never deny him. Peter who says, I'm there. Cue soundtrack. Peter, Jesus, friend. Jesus says, Peter, look him in the eye. It's going to get hard. I mean, Satan has demanded to sift you. Satan has wanted to sift you like he sifted Job. He's been in the throne room of heaven saying to God, I want that guy. I want to sift him. It's close to Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, you're going to get sifted. You're going to deny me. It's going to happen, Peter. You're going to be a failure. Well, Peter seems to say, no, I, I don't think so. Jesus, you got that wrong. Of course, it's not long later. Luke 22, same chapter. Verse 54, the time when they seized Jesus to take him away into the priest's house, the high priest's house. Peter is following where other disciples flee, perhaps in the garden. Peter is still with Jesus. Peter is still following from a distance. And as that distance that he keeps with Jesus there, he still can see Jesus. We all know what that's like, perhaps, don't we? Following from a distance. You know, yeah, we'd say we're followers of Jesus. Yeah, we, oh, we, we follow the right Facebook groups online. We follow, you know, um, perhaps the right coalition, read the right papers. But we never really get engaged at a level that's public and personal. 
And Jesus and Peter had a very public and personal friendship. But now Peter wants to be at a distance. And it's not because Jesus has wronged Peter in any way. It's because Peter is afraid. He's fearful. And that fear turns into the failure of denial. Because he gets asked a couple of times, the first time, there's a courtyard fire and a servant girl asks him. A servant girl, she's in the ancient Near East, not a very important person. She's not of high standing of rank. She's in a culture where women not really listen to, but she's a woman and a servant. And she just sees Peter in the light and she says, Hey, um, not that I want to speak out of turn, I'm just a servant girl, but the, this man here, this man here was... um." was with him. But he denies it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And then there's a second person of the couple of people so far. Someone else saw him and said, yeah, you're one of them. And Peter says, man, I'm not. But then it's the third person. The third person comes along and using a, a word that Luke uses, certainly, certainly, this man was with him. And Peter's now at the third question says after three times, two times denying, it says third and final time, I don't know Jesus. Of course, it's at that point that Peter, who's been following from a distance, he's been following from afar Jesus, he can still see Jesus because at that point, the rooster crows, verse 61, Jesus and Peter lock eyes. They see each other. And as they see each other, Peter remembers. I had high expectations of this moment. I was going to be with Jesus to the end. I said I would never deny him. And Jesus looks at Peter and Peter realizes he's done all that. He's denied Jesus as Lord. And Peter's response is to go out and weep bitterly and perhaps for days hold deep, hurting regret. For Peter, Peter here feels his failures, his failings. He feels the weight of denying Jesus of being a failure. He feels it. And what do we feel most of all often in life? Failure. Now, when it comes to us as a church, we preach through the Scriptures, and the Scriptures talk about sin a lot. And the way the Scriptures talk about sin can be in different ways, but it's the same sin. What is sin? Sin is the opposite of love. Sin is the opposite of love, which is why the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and all the commandments in the Old Testament, the Scriptures really, can be summarized that Jesus gives us in the, in the greatest commandment, can be summarized in the two that is, to love God and love your neighbor. Sin is the opposite of that, isn't it? Sin is the opposite of loving God. It's a rebellion against God and shaking the fist or giving him the palm or at least the cold shoulder. That's sin. And sin is the opposite of loving your neighbor because to love your neighbor is to not steal off them, to not covet their stuff, to not take what's theirs, to not hurt them, to not murder them. 
to love your neighbor is to love, to sin against your neighbor is not to love. And here we see what Peter feels, we feel. We know our failures, the way we fail others, the way we fail God, the way we don't love. Now, why this passage? Uh, in each sermon, uh, we're going to be looking at why this passage, particular to this time. We could have, in our sermon series in Reforming's online community, just got our whole library of sermons, which we have seven years of, and just played a series for you. And then when the government say, or the virus is gone, we can all get back together again, voila, we're back, we're live, new sermon series. We could have done that. And, you know, to be honest, I don't want to have over-realized expectations either myself. If I get sick and go down, or one of our tech team gets sick, to be honest, we might need to do that. But for the moment, we wanted to prepare a series, staying in loose gospel where we were in term one, going into the book of Acts where we'll be in term two. We wanted to prepare a series that was for our times. And so we're still in loose gospel, but we want to think about what does this mean for now that we're in social isolation? What does it mean now that we are not able to be together face to face as a church, at least, in our gathered worship and in our groups? What does this passage mean for us? I think firstly it means, I want us to think about again and again what it means to love God and love our neighbour at this time. Firstly, we need to love God and love our neighbour. We've heard this preached recently in the Great Commandments. We've heard this in Luke's Gospel. We know this and I want to reiterate how important it is to do so. To always be thinking, how can I love the other person in my home that I'm isolated with or perhaps at distance that I can't see face to face? You see, when you're together in your home and you're isolated with people, that can actually make loving people harder, can't it? If all you see in your average day or your week are a couple of people at work and your housemates or your husband or your wife or your kids, if that's all you see, for a day, for days, for weeks, for months. If that's all you see, it's going to get harder to love them. But that's where we need to be not having over-realized expectations, not you know, setting the bar too high, but going, I am aware that I might fail people, so how can I prepare to love them now? And firstly, yes, prepare to love them by doing the right thing by caring for them and not being selfish and serving their needs, asking how they are, praying for them. But secondly, and from this passage particularly, how do we love them? Be prepared for when you fail them. Sometimes we're not prepared when we fail people. Peter wasn't prepared for that. He said, I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to be a failure. And, well... If it wasn't written for us in Luke's Gospel, you could almost write the script yourself when it comes to Peter, but you could do it for your own life, couldn't you? Often we say, I'm not going to fail people, and I've been doing the right thing, and they did the wrong thing to me. But are you prepared to look at yourself and ask this question, to perhaps weep bitterly over your own failings, your own sin, and say, me, Russ, have I failed to love here? Have I failed to love my neighbour? Have I failed to love my Lord? That's a good place to start. 
Because if we start there, we actually get on the pathway towards what we need most of all. So we don't just need to recognize my wrong, which is important, we need to start there, but we need something more than that. That's what Peter needed. Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. He denies Jesus. And as he goes out and weeps bitterly and holds this regret for days, Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus is buried in a tomb. And Peter, as he weeps and mourns, feels this. He feels it. He feels his failings, his failures. He feels not just like a failure, he knows he is. But here's the great encouragement for Peter. Peter meets Jesus again. Peter is met by Jesus. Peter is someone who is forgiven by Jesus. Peter is someone who gets to hear Jesus say to him and his friends, Peace to you in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. You see, we can often have high expectations, over-realized expectations that are never met for ourselves. But you can never have too high expectations for Jesus. In fact, we often don't have high enough expectations. To expect Jesus to forgive us? Yes! For Jesus to restore us? Yes. For Jesus to even use us? Yes. Even in our family when we're isolated? Yes. For my housemates when I feel like I've stuffed up and I haven't been a good witness for Christ and a good testimony for Jesus? Yes. You see, here's the thing. We, we saw this a couple of years ago in our series in 2 Corinthians. God works in our weakness. God uses failures. How? How is that possible? How can God use failures? Because, look, if Jesus is going to present to the world a message of, of, of power, of resurrection power, how is he going to use failures? Think about what resurrection power is. It's rising from the dead. If Jesus has the power of rising from the dead, if that's where God's power is, he has the power to forgive sins, the power to restore people who have wandered, who need to repent and rejoice. Jesus can do that, and he does it for Peter. Now, for us, in our social isolation, for this period of time, I think there's more chance of failing, not less. Why do I say that? I just, I just noticed that um, there's a lot of articles around saying, uh, well, social Isolation means that if you're a Christian person, I'm speaking to Christians first, of course, if you're a Christian person, this means that you can now spend time reading and growing as a Christian and, and uh, you know, you can read the Puritans and these are all good things to do. Can I really recommend a wonderful opportunity? In fact, can I really recommend you read a lot in our socialization rather than just scroll on the screen? Um, I mean, yes, this is reading too, and you can read stuff, but, well, when it comes to a book, there's nothing like having no distractions, is there? But here's the thing. When it comes to our social isolation, we can often have a high expectation, like Peter, that in my social isolation, if I'm not around other sinners, I'll, like, sin less. I won't have problems with loving my neighbor as much because I'm not going to be around them. It's going to be easy. In fact, we know the memes are going around saying all the introverts are like, 
Yeah, yeah, okay. I've got to socially isolate. No worries. But it's not just that not being around other people is going to help us be less of a sinner. In fact, I think there's a danger of being more of a sinner. Because what happens in social isolation is, although we're not around other people, we still think about them. That's a good thing, but that good thing can become bad if we're thinking ill of them. We don't see them face to face, and so we're not able to look at each other and go, how are you going, and, and actually see with empathy and sympathy and care, I'm going through this, or I care for you as you go through this. We, we don't see each other as we talk and, and see a person's response and, and see just that movement in their face and read that with the God-given gift we've got of being able to read a person in a face-to-face environment, of being able to read that they're actually hurting from my words, that I actually said something they misunderstand or, or, or um, I mistook their particular answer. And we don't have that ability when it comes face-to-face. And what can happen is this, we end up just communicating online, just communicating by words and emails or text messages. Maybe it's a phone call, even at best. Perhaps even Zoom groups and we see each other on the screen. But then we turn the screen off and we think, well, what do they mean by that? And, and were, they, were they kind of having a crack at me or critiquing me? Or, and we can start to actually grumble inside and we actually sin more against other people in our isolation because we're not with people. Our isolation actually turns us to be more in on ourselves and focusing on ourselves and our selfishness rather than focusing on others. And we can focus on others. We can do that even at a distance, even not seeing each other face to face. How do we know this? That's what the whole New Testament is about. It's about loving others with sent letters, sent people to send those letters. You see, in our social social isolation, we can actually have high expectations that if we're not around others, we'll be more godly, but I think the opposite can happen. And what could happen is we get a day, a week, two weeks, a couple months in, and we're actually worse off. And we fail. We fail Jesus. We fail one another. And then I think in social isolation, it can get worse. How does it get worse? Because if we're not around each other, if we're not around that weekly rhythm of the gathering of the church, where we can bear with one another love, see each other's reactions and faces and give actual care and prayer and forgiveness and love and and the embrace and the handshake and the restoring of relationships. We can't be doing that on a weekly basis where the gospel changes everything amongst us, where the, the whole world, the community, the city of Bendigo region looks on and sees, wow, that's what the gospel does. If we can't do that together... What can happen is not only are we failing one another in our isolation, in our hearts, but it gets worse than that. How? Luke 22, verse 61. We end up denying the power of the gospel because we're not listening to the good news of Jesus. We're not listening to the gospel, which moves us personally in our isolation to verse 62. We just spend our time going out away from others, not towards them in love and forgiveness and restoration, but away from others and weep bitterly. And we do it not just for three days, but perhaps days, weeks, God forbid, months alone. Peter needed what we need. In 
his isolation, in his time where he went out, what did he need? More time alone? Did he need, just don't call me. Just don't, no, he didn't need that. He needed forgiveness. You and I need forgiveness too. And although we perhaps have had high expectations of 2020 or being used by God for magnificent things in, in our life and our year, we will fail. Let me tell you something as someone is probably a little bit older than most of you in our church, and I know we're a young church, we're kind of like Peter Pan and his lost boys. We all look young. That's meant to be a compliment. But let me tell you, as you get older, the one thing you get more in your life is failure. The one thing you get more in your life as you get older is failure. You don't get more like less failings. You don't get kind of better at things necessarily. You might get better at some things to realize you fail at other things. And, and you just you realize your failings more. You realize your sins more. Some of it you can hide and pretend it's not there or cover it over when you're young and expect I'll be able to kick that when I'm older. But generally the habits we have that are sinful, the failures that we have, they just are more seen and they hang on more to our hearts. And the thing we need to avoid is just going out and weeping bitterly, being sorry for ourselves, and rather go to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. And that's the great thing for Peter. In fact, it's actually, it's not so much he goes to Jesus, which we need to do, but it's he is the power of God it's Jesus goes to him. Jesus goes to him and restores him. Jesus goes to him and, 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 and so Peter uh, sees Jesus and Jesus goes to him and they, they talk together and it's, it's Jesus that says to Peter, do you love me three times? And Peter says, of course I love you. And what Jesus is doing is saying, you see, I forgive you. I restore you. And Peter Look me in the eye again. I'm going to use you for great things for the gospel. As we face social isolation, it can be hard to see how God can use this. Harder to see how can God use me. How can God use our small church, reforming church? We're not making the big decisions Yes, we're doing our part so that the people around us and at least our families, our older parents, grandparents are not going to get infected and affected by this virus. But how can we be used by God in these days? We see again and again, God specializes in working in the darkness. God specializes in working with the weak. And God specializes in picking up failures, forgiving them and restoring them and sending them. And who does he send them to? Does God send failures to other people that life's been going so swimmingly that no, he sends them to other failures. God sends Peter as an apostle, the word apostle means sent one. He sends him to other people who need forgiveness. So they know they can be forgiven too. There's a kid's book that we love. It's one of my favorites at the moment. We love reading to our kids about Peter. And it's called The Forgiving Friend, where Jesus forgives Peter for denying him not once, but twice, but three times. So that Peter would know he can be forgiven again 
and again and again. What I love about that book is the end where Peter goes out and under persecution, under hard times, under imprisonment and isolation, why does he go through all that stuff? Why does he do it? Because he wants to take the good news of Jesus, the gospel to others, so they can be forgiven again and again and again. Do you know you've been forgiven again and again and again? If you do, I, I pray that that becomes a wonderful encouragement to you in your own isolation, in this time of a coronavirus crisis. I pray that you remember, as you seek to love your neighbours in close quarters, or from afar with a phone call, as you seek to encourage one another, as you do so and yet fail at that, that you know you are forgiven again and again and again, even as we fail again and again and again. How? Because you and I have our faith resting, not on ourselves. We don't focus on ourselves, but our faith focuses on Jesus, the forgiving friend. He is our friend in isolation. He is the God who forgives our sins. And he's the one who goes to the cross, to where Peter denied him and he ends up at a cross where he has no friends. We all flee him. We all fail him. And he dies for the failures, taking our failings, our failures on his shoulders. He takes them to a cross and gets judged for it so we don't have to. That's how much of a forgiving friend is Jesus, the friend of sinners. The friend of Peter, your friend too. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his forgiveness We pray now that as we, in these days, can't be face-to-face, that we would still love our neighbours, love one another in our church, and do so with the kind of love that looks to Jesus when we fail, that looks to Him when we don't meet our own expectations. Help us to love, yes, but help us to keep looking to Jesus to know we are loved. And we thank you for Him. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.